This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for weekly research insights as investors respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is November 5th, 2020. This week, we pick up on our conversation with Rick Redding, CEO of the Index Industry Association, to bring you even more context around the huge rise in ESG indexes. Also joining us for this discussion is MSCI's head of ESG index and EMEA, Vero Minou. Vero, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So as you know, we spoke with Rick Redding of the Index Industry Association last week, and one key headline from that talk was, ESG indexes increased by over 40%, which is blown away any any previous year's record for to see that kind of growth in any category whatsoever. As someone who lives in the ESG index world every day, we'd love to hear your reaction to that number. I can tell you, I've been in the ESG space actually for more than 16 years now, um, and, and really ESG has not always been that high on investors' agenda. Uh, so I'm definitely thrilled to, to to see that the work that we've done educating investors on the relevance of ESG has been uh, very fruitful. What do you think that is? ESG uh, is becoming more concrete uh, for investors and, and also for the general public more broadly. Uh, we've seen that with extreme weather events such as you know floods or extreme cold or extreme heat. Um, those extreme weather events have been experienced by many. And that definitely makes, you know, climate change concrete uh, among investors and and the general public. COVID as well, and I think COVID was more or or is more uh, like a a social issue. Uh, So it is making social issues more prevalent, uh, including inequality, employee well-being, job losses, access to healthcare. So I think no, COVID has definitely made social issues within the ESG space a bit more concrete uh, for investors to grasp uh, ESG. So definitely all of that makes complete sense, COVID making it more concrete, as you said, and investors just waking up, seeing why this is an important area to focus on. That said, some parts of the world are clearly ahead of others. What are you seeing in different parts of the world when, when you speak with clients? Indeed, there are regional differences. Um, I'd say that Europe is leading the way, uh, while the U.S. Uh, is still lagging. And we see Asia actually uh, catching up. Um, but I'd say that there are also you know, different approaches of, of ESG investing or different shades of green, if you will. You can see, you know, light green approach, moderate green approach, and dark green approach. A light green approach means that the primary objective uh, would be to prevent headline risk and align with ethical or political values. And, and you can do that, for example, through an exclusion of companies involved in controversial activities such as weapons, tobacco, fossil fuel, alcohol, etc. Then you have the, the, the moderate uh, green approaches, uh, which integrate ESG as a way to enhance risk-adjusted return through either a selection or best-in-class approach or a reweighting approach. And the last, uh, the last approach or the dark green approach would add an impact component 
so it's not only about long-term risk and long-term return. It's also about uh, having an impact on society and the environment. Um, and that can potentially be achieved through a tilt towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals. There was another aspect of regional differences that came up when we spoke with Rick, though we didn't get to include it in the final episode. And that was how different regions have sought to regulate ESG indexes. Let's have a listen. Historically, there's been a very different way of looking at regulation in Europe, uh, continental Europe, I will say, than the way that's been looked at in the United States and Asia. The U.S. and Asia primarily look at regulating products not necessarily the underlying benchmarks. European regulation is a subject I know you're very close to, and we'll speak more about that later, but how has ESG regulation evolved? The number of ESG uh, regulations globally has increased uh, over the past few years, and especially in Europe more recently with the EU Sustainable Finance Action Plan. And what's interesting on the regulatory front is is not only that regulations have become more numerous, but also that they've changed focus in the sense that they are now more focused on investors, while they were more focused on issuers of corporates in the past. You're raising that shift is interesting. One of the issues that Rick mentioned was the potential for some regulations to be drafted in a way that ended up too narrow in scope. Or as he put it, for example, in climate, if, it, if the restrictions are too tight and you end up with only, I'm making this up as a, as a hypothetical, 10 companies that can, that can go in your climate benchmark, the problem with it, it becomes, that becomes a niche market because no pension plan's risk manager will let, you know, you put $10 billion worth of, of incremental investing into 10 stocks. In ESG, we need to be more inclusionary of, you know, finding good companies that across all ESG factors, because the goal, I think, of ESG investing is to get these into core portfolios, not make them niche products by having too few stocks and not enough money flow to it. What, what have you seen so far? What's been your take? That's one of the, the key challenges uh, that we face is how to find the right balance between being too prescriptive and fight against greenwashing. Greenwashing. Can you give us a quick definition? Greenwashing is really when, for example, you know, you promote uh, a product as being green or ESG, but it doesn't necessarily have very strong or relevant uh, metrics or methodology to justify and demonstrate that this product is ESG and green. As you know, ESG is in its early stages, so more data will emerge, more models will be developed, more analytical tools will become relevant. So it was very important for us while defining, for example, the minimum standards to allow for flexibility and ensure innovation. But on the other side, not being too stringent and developing rules that could have been too easy to meet could have led to us being accused of greenwashing. When you say us, you actually served as part of, of a group pulled together, the, the EU Technical Expert Group, and this was set up to advise the European Commission about ESG regulation. Can you give us a little bit more detail about this group and the mission that, that pulled it together? Sure. 
so the EU Technical Expert Group was a group of 35 uh, experts that have been selected, as you mentioned, to help the, uh, the Commission implement part of the Sustainable Finance Action Plan. Uh, the group included people from various backgrounds, uh, including academics, civil society investors, as well as, as corporates. Our mission were to first define uh, the EU green taxonomy, develop green bond standards, define minimum standards for climate benchmarks, as well as climate disclosure requirements for issuers. So this group actually started in July 2018, uh, and we completed our work uh, in September this year. So what were the recommendations from the group? What, did, what, what was your advice to the European Commission? So on the benchmark side, our recommendations were twofold. One, we developed uh, minimum standards for the EU Paris Align benchmark or the EU Climate Transition benchmark. Uh, that we call now with the acronym PAB and, and CTB. So that was the first, uh, the first task. The second was around defining ESG disclosure requirement for ESG indices. So on the minimum standards for PAB and, and CTB, what we did is we defined a set of recommendations for index provider to comply with if they wanted to call their indexes PAB or CTB. And the minimum standards include requirements, for example, to reduce the carbon footprint of the index compared to its parents, to reduce exposure to fossil fuel-related activities, to exclude companies that are involved in controversial weapons or, or violating uh, international norms. One of the key features of both the CTB and the PAB is around the self-decarbonization. Why, you know, traditionally, uh, when we calculate or when, when we, at the index level, we want to reduce the carbon footprint, we usually do that uh, comparing it with the parent index. And I think what this self-decarbonization is about, it's the index is itself will decarbonize year on year. And what we define as a minimum standard is that the index should decarbonize year on year by 7%. That 7% uh, is actually, you know, coming from the IPCC scenario of 1.5 degree. You also mentioned disclosures. What did that work yield? We also define a set of, of guidelines to enhance the transparency of ESG index methodologies, as well as a set of ESG metrics that will have to be disclosed publicly for ESG indices. And the idea was really to, to provide more transparency as to the ESG-ness, if you will, of an ESG index. An example of metrics would include the carbon footprint, fossil fuel exposure, so that's on the environmental side. On the social side, that would be uh, indicators such as you know, the gender diversity, violations of uh, the UN Global Compact, uh, and on the governance side, uh, indicators would include, for example, independent uh, director at the board. So it sounds like the goal of any regulation around disclosure and measurement, as you say, it's really about investors having the data they need and having faith in that data so they can make decisions. When we assess the, uh, uh, the ESG performance of an issuer, what really matters is not really what they say they do, but rather, rather what they do from a product or uh, from a portfolio perspective, I think what is also uh, important is first to be transparent on 
the input and the methodology. So really explain how a portfolio or an index is constructed. And second, also be transparent on the output. So what is it in this index? What is what is the what makes it ESG? Well, that's the time we have for right now, Vero. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Rick, Vero, and to all of you for joining us. Next week, we talked a little today about the social effects of the pandemic, the S of the ESG. We'll explore that topic more with MSCI's Megan Twing Eastman. Remember, it takes just a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or share with a friend. Remember, it takes just a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or share with a friend. Until next week, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.